The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. Man, you know, two years ago, I thought, I w- I've been a Christian for ten years, and I thought that, tri- that changing the culture was, be- was, was getting a American conservatism into the rising generation. I, I didn't worship Donald Trump because I was too busy worshiping Ted Cruz. So if you actually Google Joe Salant, what you'll see is you'll actually see that I made it through the whole news cycle, uh, you know, some pretty big publications for a song that I did, uh, worshiping Ted Cruz, basically, you know, in his presidential campaign, you know, holding up the idol of Cruz, connecting it to Reagan, connecting it to the American founding as the city on the hill, and so on and so forth. That was, that's how we're going to build the culture, right? That's how we're going to save everything. Well, I found myself two years ago in St. Louis, completely isolated from everything that I had been building previously. And I was supposed to be there to be a spokesperson for a conservative super PAC to make this kind of stuff cool for the, for the kids, for the rising generation, right? And it was going awful. Nothing was working. All the money that they were paying me was getting flushed down the toilet. I was about to be fired. And I was have to go back on the speaking and music circuit and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm like, God, why am I here? I have this. I know how to change the culture. Why aren't you blessing me? So on and so forth. And during a time that I had there separated in St. Louis, it was like, I was like, man, you know, I have this. I have this secret. I have the fire. I'm woke, God. And the spirit said, no, you're not. You're not woke at all. Uh. And through some connections that I've had, that I had, God introduced me to a podcast. And I'm sitting there all alone in St. Louis, still a conservative kind of idolater. I had all these idols in my mind, this this factory of idols where I was going to rebuild the American city on the hill and back the blue and 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 you know build the wall and the whole nine yards. And I had these solutions. And it was like God was saying, "Do you want to find out why you're here?" And I said, yeah, God. And then God kind of said through the Spirit, no, you don't. You don't want to know why you're here. And I said, yes, God, whatever it is, I don't, I don't want to be here unless, unless it's for the truth. And through some connections that I had, my man Jason Sanchez I'd done activism with, uh, my man Nick Perez, I got turned on to Reconstructionist Radio as I'm sitting there in St. Louis. And I hear this Bulgarian, I thought it was a Russian accent because I'm from Ru- I, I have, you know, Russian roots. I hear this Bulgarian accent just spitting this absolute fire and destroying literally to shreds every single idol that I had in my mind. It was a choose this day whom you are going to serve. Everything that this that I was hearing through this Axe to the Root podcast was just like it was shaking my life. It was destroying foundations that I thought were firm and secure. And I had to make a choice because I knew, look, if I'm going to accept what God's giving me here, it's going to cost. 
It's going to cost a lot. And that was the beginning of a long journey. And I'm sure a lot of people are here for the same reason. But with no further ado, the man behind the microphone from Axe to the Roof, the underground legend, the ecclesiocrat's worst nightmare, the tyrant's biggest fear, and my drinking buddy over here, my man, and one of my best friends now, welcome to the stage, Bo Marinoff. Heck yeah. Joe, you could have taken your time. I, I, I was enjoying it. <laughs> okay, I, I was planning on doing like two hours, but Joe took some of my time, so. <laughs> All right. Now, I just want to make sure, does everybody here understand that if you're a Christian, if you want to go out there and expand the kingdom of God, it is going to be a work of antithesis. Now, antithesis is a nice Greek word of saying it's a war. Right? It's a nice Greek word. And uh, those people at the seminaries like to use that. And I know a lot of people use that word. But let me put it in the right way. Antithesis means one thing. You're at war. Okay. So when you're out there at war, and everybody who's been in the military knows that you're, when you're out there, the first thing you need to know is who the enemy is. And who is the enemy when we're, when we're waging a war for God? It's the idols. It's all the false gods out there, and sometimes those gods are us. And most of the time, the false gods out there are whatever we have in ourselves and whatever we worship in ourselves. So, uh, an inescapable part of being a Christian and expanding the kingdom of God is understanding where the idols are. All right. In fact, that's the first thing some of us need to learn in our lives because some of us have become Christians in an environment that's entirely opposed to everything we believe now as Christians. Okay, so we need to know what idols are we attacking? What idols are we dealing with? What idols do we have antithesis with? Okay, now let's say I want to start this presentation with a logical test, or maybe I should say analogical test because it's parallel logic and uh, or proportionate logic. And let me let me let me uh, put, put it this way: Let's say you're new to the Christian religion. Let's say you converted yesterday. You want to become a Christian, you became a Christian yesterday, and today you're coming to me and you're asking me, Bo, I want to know where God is manifested in the world around me today so that I can know where the idols are manifested as well and I can fight those idols. What are the things, where can I find God in the world today around me? Okay. You want to know how to discern God, and you want to know how to discern idolatries. You want to know how to discern God in the world around you, how to discern God in you. You want to know how to discern idols in the world around you, how to discern idols within you. All right, so where is God? You know, you know that God is, does not appear in a physical, in a physical you know, form in front of you. You know God's not going to come to you and just talk to you 
Well, sometimes he does in history, but it's not being very common. You want to know in what things he is. So that you can know where the idols are also. They come to me and he asks me, how do I discern God? How do I discern the idols? Where is God in, in everyday life? Where are the idols in everyday life? How do I get closer to God through all these things? And how, and how can I know if I'm departing from God in idolatry? Okay? And let's say I'm not Bojidar Marinov. Let's say for a minute, I'm not Bojidar Marinov. And I give you the following answer. God is in the correct rituals and ceremonies you perform in a special place called the sanctuary. Let's say I give you this answer, okay? It's called, quote-unquote, worship, okay? And when you do the worship the right way, in the right order, using all of the right movements, God is right there. This is where God is, okay? Now that you know where God is, where are you going to be looking for idols? In the wrong ceremonies, in the wrong rituals, right? That's where you're going to be looking for, uh, for the idols. Rituals and ceremonies that just don't do the right things the right way. That's where idolatry will be. Your religious life and practice will be devoted to digging deeper and deeper and deeper into what the right way is supposed to be, right? You may end up writing fat books like the Lord's Service, for example, or six volumes on the use of psalms in singing, right? Or the order of worship of the early church, assuming that worship means what we mean today, you know? You'll be arguing all your life about such important non-entities like the regulative principle of worship, like all these mythologies. And you'll be one of the five people in the world who have exactly the most regulativist, regulativist worship. In principle of all. Unlike the other 100 enthusiasts whose regulative principle of worship is not exactly the right one. And the rest of the world doesn't know anything about it. And of course, the moment you see a church that doesn't abide by the right rules of worship you will know that church is idolatrous. Right? That's what you're going to have. Oh, you use instruments to worship Jesus? Clearly, you worship an idol. And everything else may be fine, but you worship an idol. You don't use the only divinely inspired translation named after a sodomite homosexual monarch? You must worship an idol. Right? You don't use the only, uh, you apply a musical tune, imagine that, to biblical texts that are outside the Psalms, like, holy, 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 that's in Isaiah. And in the Revelation, it's not in the Psalms. You're clearly an idolater. Right? Everybody knows that. You, you worship an idol. Not to elaborate on that, it's not like you need a lot of imagination to visualize such people. You've seen them, you've talked to them, you've argued with them. The point is clear. If I told you that God was in the right rituals and ceremonies, you'd be looking for idols in the wrong rituals and ceremonies. That's where idolatry is. Now, let's say I give you a different answer, that God is actually in the hierarchy of the human society. He's in the structures of power. Joel talked about it. Who rules over whom? You know, those pyramids you may have seen in the history textbooks about the feudal society in medieval Europe. 
you know, the monarch, the king at the top, then, then come the higher nobility and clergy, and then the king's military, and then the lesser nobility and clergy, then the local mayors and town councils, then the guild masters, the wardens, other lesser powers, all the way down to free men, peasants, uh, and of course, women under men. Uh, oh, uh, above women, serfs and slaves, you know, and, uh, and so on. So that the order of creation, that, that creation ordinance is maintained in the society. Who gets what power, right? Some other hierarchy of power, like party members at the top, everybody else at the bottom, or uh, a secret police, uh, national, national security, uh, whatever, association or administration, the FBI, the cops, with all the qualified immunity at the top, all of us down here, you know, being the peasants, liable to pay taxes, and so on. Or church elders at the top, everybody else at the bottom, and you don't, you don't question church members. Or, you know, all women under all men, thank you for all the sandwiches. Or something, you know. God is a king, God is a sovereign, he must be into this, this kind of thing, right? He likes uh, ranks, stations in life, uniforms, barefoot in the kitchen. At attention, at ease, to the conjugal bed, march, and so on. You know the routine. When he reveals himself in the world, I tell you, it is in these structures of power. Where are you going to be looking for idols? Anywhere where power seems inverted. Anywhere where it seems like the wrong people have authority. Like somebody who is a servant suddenly becomes the king of the world. Somebody who came to give, to give his life and serve everybody else. Now that's where idolatry must be, right? Because we're making the king into a servant and the servant into a king. Anywhere you find a hierarchy structure that is upside down. For example, somebody says, hey, my wife rules my home. Idolatry. Now, Paul says it in 1 Timothy 5.14 that women should rule the home. But we know he didn't mean that because he couldn't invert the creation ordinance, right? Come on. When we know, we know, it, we know idolatry when we see a woman making her own decisions about economic stuff in the house. Who does she think he is? she is? Like the Power 31 woman? <laughs> when you see church members demanding accountability from their church elders, now you have idolatry. You know, of course, they all disrespect authority and, you know, you know the routine. Or those constitutionalists and libertarians that go out there and sassing cops, demanding to know, am I being detained? Right there, you got idolatry. These people disrespect authority. You know, there's demon there, I mean, for sure. And you know, demons never work through government authority. Demons always work through somebody who is not in the government. <laughs> Ever heard of any demon who wants to use government authority? No, it's always God that does that. Right? And so on. 
When you see families trying to save their children from starvation, from sure death, by not going through the right process of crossing a border. Come on. This is right there disrespect of authority and we're a nation of laws. And this is what Christianity is. If you're not obeying all these laws, you must be an idolater. Now, what if I told you that God is not to be found on this earth at all? Period. That's a tough one, but common. I mean, he's a spirit. What makes anyone believe that a spirit will in any way be manifest in anything on, on the earth? Right? And you're thinking, well, never heard of those, right? What are you... I'm not going to continue much longer in that, but where are you going to be trying to find idolatry if I told you God is never manifested in anything on earth, either relationships or, or any kind of activities? Where are you going to be looking for idols? Everybody who thinks that anything in this world is of any significance will be an idolater for you. Right? We're just here to preach the gospel. And if you want to change the culture, you must be an idolater. Well, you might want to change the culture for Christ, according to the Bible, you're still an idolater in their eyes. Right? Anything that tells you, I want to, I want to think about the future, I want to think about my kids and you know, their education and so on, about the future, oh, oh, you're focusing on something in this world, and this world is so important to you, you must be an idolater. Right? And so on. Now, the pattern should be clear. Your paradigm of where God is in this world is also your paradigm of where the idols can be found in this world. It's the same paradigm. It's exactly the same paradigm. That much should be obvious to everyone. So whatever religion, whatever uh, idea, the theology you develop of God, how He is manifested in the world around you, that's going to be your theology of how idolatry can be discerned and found out demons can be discerned in the world around us. Now let's say I am Bozhidar Marinov, and I give you this answer. The source of law in any society is it's God. the God of your society. The source of law in any society is the God of that society. Ever heard that before? Yep. Ever read that before somewhere? Yep. The source of law in any society is the God of that society. Where are you going to be looking for idols if you want to find them in discernment? In systems of law, and here I'm not just talking government law, I'm talking about everything from personal righteousness all the way to government justice that are rival and opposed to the Bible. That's where you're going to be looking for idolatry, right? If God is manifested in the law, if, if gods are manifested in the laws of the society that they rule over, then a godly society, a society where God is manifested, where Christ is manifested, will be a society where the law of God is the ruling paradigm of the society, both for personal life and for family life or for institutional life and for government justice, right? And then an idolatrous society will be known by the fact 
that that society will have laws starting from personal behavior all the way to government behavior has laws that are unbiblical and anti-biblical. This is where you're going to be finding idolatry if you want to discern it. Now, let me continue. Let me say, you asked me, so what do you mean by, by the law of a society? Okay, what's that law that you're talking about? And I come back to you and I say, the foundations of the throne of God, and it is said in the Bible that God will establish His throne in, in the societies that manifest Him. The foundations of that throne are, anybody knows? Righteousness and justice. And if you know that the foundations of God's throne are righteousness and justice, where will be the foundations of the thrones of demons? In wickedness and injustice. Some time ago in one of the uh, Acts of the Root podcasts, I made the following statement, the following claim. Behind every injustice in the society, there is idolatry. And if the church is not fighting injustice, then the church is not fighting idolatry. Because behind every, every injustice, there is idolatry. And everywhere where you have people worshiping idols, by necessity, they end up committing injustice. The things, these two things are so linked to each other, there's never been a society to obey the law of God while worshiping idols, and there has never been a case where people who worship God truly have built a society with injustice. Wherever you see injustice, that means that even in Christian societies, that, mean that, that means that people have become apostates from God and have started worshiping idols. I got severely criticized for that, by the way, and, and that by people who are believed to be Christian reconstructionists. Uh, I guess well intent, and then I presented to them this whole thing in personal messages, and I asked them, show me where my logic is flawed. And they couldn't. If God is manifested, if you believe that your God is manifested in the laws of your society, then there is no way that you can have injustice while worshiping truly the God of the Bible. There's no way to do that. And these truths were pretty obvious to all of us who are Christian Reconstructionists before. I mean, just until like five years ago, all of us believed that as Christian Reconstructionists, we need to go out there and actually look at cases of injustice in the world, you know, following those books by Rushtuni and North and Bonson. And when we, when we see injustice in the world, that was a case for us to argue that there is idolatry. I mean, just five years ago, nobody thought that, that, was a, that was a big issue. Yeah, Bonson used the term social justice so many times. We thought social justice was our term. This is how we, this is how we discerned where idolatry is. Because we believe that if there is injustice, 
there is idolatry there. We believe that there is a seamless continuity between your worship and your view of justice, between your worship and your loss in the society. And we believe that we can, that, that the only way for us to build a truly just society was by returning society back to God. You know, people were pointing at stuff. It, it was not just Christian Reconstructionists. It was most Reformed people did that. We looked at the world around us and we said, this is why we have all these things. We've been quoting Solzhenitsyn about it. And Solzhenitsyn said that the, 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 the true reason for what the Soviet Union has become it's not because somebody came up with some ideology or somebody took power, but because people have forgotten God. You know, and we quoted this. And we said, this is obvious. This is what Christian Reconstruction is. This is what we're teaching all the time. When we forget God, this is what happens. Gulags, concentration camps, secret police, taxes and all that stuff because we forget God we stop worshiping God and we get all these things that are injustice that validity of the of the concept of social justice was so normal for us so so obvious to us I could never imagine five years ago I could never imagine a time when there will be reformed people in America arguing against that concept I could never imagine that I thought well I, it, it should be a no-brainer. I mean, you get injustice, obviously, that means that we have forgotten God. We didn't separate between the concepts of idolatry and injustice. I mean, you, you go to the Old Testament, I mean, even those Reformed people who are not theonomists would go to the Old Testament and will say, well, Israel, because they have forsaken God, were delivered into the injustice of the idols. I mean, that's what God told him. Oh, you want to worship idols? Fine, I'll give you the law systems of the, of the idols. How would you like those systems? Well, Israelites would say, uh, we don't like them. Well, if you don't like them, return back to me. They returned back to him. God gave them justice. Well, they abandoned God. And God said, okay, well, let me give you the same systems again. And it was on and off, on and off, you know, all the time. So today, in our world today, I, I was really surprised about five years ago when people certainly suddenly started speaking against uh, social justice. Why? Because some liberal used the word. Excuse me. <coughs> because some liberal used the word social justice and everybody was suddenly, oh, social justice is a leftist concept. We don't want social justice. We don't want to preach about social justice. We don't want to talk about social justice. We don't want to argue uh, for social justice and so on. If you even mention the word social justice in any positive context, you must be what? You must be a liptar or something. Well, yeah, the Bible does speak about justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we did. Um, we were for biblical justice. But we're not for social justice. Okay, my question is, what's the difference? Uh, well, there's the difference. Social justice is not biblical justice. Okay, what's the difference? Well, biblical justice is not that social justice because social justice, that's what the liberals want. All right, explain the difference. And nobody knows what the difference is. 
it is to a certain extent true that you can go into justice, you can go kind of defending issues of justice while forgetting about God, making justice your center, the center of everything you want. I just want justice, but I don't want God. And Joel mentioned about it, and he uh, finished with this, with what Gary North said, and this is, uh, we don't want the fruits, we don't want to focus on the fruits of our faith, we want to focus on God, and from there, the fruits will follow. Seek ye the kingdom of God, and everything else will follow. So we don't want to focus on the results. We don't want to focus on the fruits. And sometimes we, I mean, some people may want to focus on justice itself without focusing on God. And of course, they're not going to get justice because they're not getting God, because God is always behind every concept of justice. And of course, we need to be careful uh, because everything for us as Christians starts with God. And uh, <clears throat> Our focus should be God first, His kingdom first, and then all the other issues in the world around us, whether justice or righteousness or everything else. I mean, sometimes we, we do become legalistic and we make the law a God in itself. You know, sometimes we do make our own legal rules the law in itself. Sometimes we make our own righteousness the law in itself. Oh, you know what? I'm praying five hours a day. You're not praying five hours a day. You must not be from God. You know? Okay, well, I'm praying one hour a day. I can't brag about it. So, obviously, God is with you. But our position at the beginning of fighting idolatry must start with the fact that every justice goes first back to covenantal loyalty before God. Now, there is a difference there. There is the real difference between God and the idols. And this is, God demands self-conscious loyalty with an oath. The idols do not. You don't have to specifically declare a loyalty to an idol in order to follow an idol. Whereas, as a Christian, you cannot remain silent about who you follow. You know, what master do you serve? And you got to answer, Jesus. You can't hide it. What master do you serve? I answer, when you ask a, an unbeliever, what master do you serve? Tell him, no, I don't serve no master. I serve myself. Or I serve the state. You know, I've given an oath to the state. I've given an oath to this, to that. But when you're a Christian, obviously they follow idols, not the state or not anything else. But when you're a Christian, you got to be very explicit about your faith. So the covenantal loyalty before God and that explicit covenantal loyalty is what we need to start with when you, we're denouncing idolatry and injustice. We cannot just talk about injustice. We cannot just focus on issues of injustice. We need to start with there is an oath that you need to take before God. Jesus there are several things in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels, where Jesus said, you're not, you're not coming with me to heaven unless you do these things. One of them is you got to treat the least in the society, you know, in, in the way as you'll be treating me. Then there's another one, he says, whoever is ashamed of me before man, I will be ashamed before my Father in heaven of him. And whoever is not ashamed, I'm not going to be ashamed of him. 
which means that as Christians, our fighting idols must start with open profession of our faith. Now, when you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's kind of a mixed blessing in terms of how it defines the church. But in the chapter on the church, the church is pretty clearly defined not as an institution. What does it say about the church? How is the church defined there? The visible church is all those and their children who profess the Christian religion. Did you get that? The Westminster Confession of Faith actually defines the visible church as what we today think is the invisible church. Just the people who profess the Christian religion. What's the visible part of the church there? And that's the visible church. What's the visible part there? It's our profession. Nothing else but our profession. You want to see the visible church? Open your mouth. It's not in your hierarchy rules in the church. It's not in your general assemblies. It's not in the fact that you have a, a building, an institution, or anything else. You want to see the visible church. Open your mouth about your faith. This is where we start. As Christians, we need to understand that fighting the idols must start with opening our mouth about God. This is why over the centuries, the main work of the enemies of God has been not so much to kill Christians, but to silence them. The rules have always been, stop talking about the guy of the pagans. Stop talking about the guy. Well, we can't stop talking. Well, you'll go to prison. We don't want to kill you. You're all, all right. We're okay if you believe in him. That's fine. Just shut your mouth. And the answer of true Christians throughout history has been, put me in prison, kill me, whatever. But as long as this mouth can be open and speak about Jesus, I'm going to be speaking about him. The idols don't really require direct confession and belief. You can be a follower of idols without opening your mouth. In fact, most of those that do not open their mouths about their religion are followers of idols. In fact, all of them that don't talk about religion are followers of, of, of idols. But as long as the Christian religion is concerned, you cannot have unconscious submission to God. Your submission must be self-conscious and it must be with an open mouth. You speak about him. However, what is not always obvious to most people is that our denouncing of injustice in the world must start first with denouncing the roots of that injustice and that means the deconfession of idols in the world around us. Sometimes we talk, I mean we've seen people, especially on the leftist side, who point to this or that or that or that injustice and they say, okay, uh, uh, women in our society are uh, underprivileged or minorities are underprivileged or orphans are underprivileged but that never starts with the idolatry which makes these people underprivileged or makes these people uh, 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 oppressed or uh, unjustly treated in the society it always starts with focusing on the very injustice itself that's never gonna work it never worked in history what it created is just another form of injustice because the idolatry that's behind that injustice has never been 
deconfessed, has never been denounced, has never been rejected, has never been exposed to everybody to see so that we know what the root of injustice is. So when, we, uh, uh, when, when these people start with pointing at injustice instead of starting with the religious uh, uh, roots of that injustice, we never have any results. And, uh, and, and of course we have today in our society this gigantic conflict between people who open their mouths to speak about Jesus but never point to the justice that the kingdom of God is supposed to bring. And then we have the left side of the spectrum where they talk about injustice, but they never really mention what the religious roots of that injustice is. Uh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit, because I know that everybody is already... Finally, my point is this. When we fight idolatry in our society, there are several things, that, there are several rules that we need to know. We first start with what is obvious to everybody and that is injustice in the society. Everybody can see injustice. People understand injustice, especially the victims of injustice understand injustice. Now, if you go to the powerful of the day, they don't understand injustice. They look at injustice and they say, well, what's the big deal? You know, what's the big deal? Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, these people live in the ghetto, but it's not our fault. I mean, it's their fault. You know, forget about 400 years of, of, of uh, slavery and Jim Crow laws and, and all that stuff. Of course, most people don't understand. I, what's their problem? Hard work, dedication, you should be able to get out of there. They don't understand injustice. But people who are the victims of injustice understand injustice. And we as Christians start from there. We point to injustice in the society done to the least of the people in our society. There are three categories in the law of God that point out that they're not just these three technical categories. They describe the weakest people in the society. The orphan, the widow, and the stranger. Now sometimes we think, well, you know, it's just these three categories and that's okay. And the stranger only if the stranger has the papers. You know, I'm, I'm the other strangers are not real strangers. And of course, some of the orphans are not real orphans. And the widows, well, we don't know about that widow. You know, what exactly happened to her and so on. But injustice is easily understood by everyone and especially by these weakest people in the society. And let me tell you this, these weakest people in the society are going to be your testimony before God in the final day. Matthew 25. So we point to that injustice in the society. And once we point out injustice that is instinctively perceived by most people, we need to go presuppositional on them. And instead of focusing on the injustice, trace that injustice back to the idolatry that is behind it. Now, when we start talking about tracing presuppositionally that back to the idolatry, you think that's so easy. But in fact, that is the major work we today as Reconstructionists need to do. And I've noticed this many times. Sometimes we point to injustice, and when we're asked what's the religious root of that injustice, we don't know. And that is the major work we all need to do, and that means all of you need to be back to the books and reading those books until you're capable of discerning idolatry behind injustice. There's always some religion behind that is just that injustice. There's always something behind it that is points to some uh, self-conscious or unconscious worship of some idol. And if we don't do that exposing of that, that religion behind injustice, 
we're not going to be able to treat injustice in a biblical way. If people do not understand that connection, our job is to present the consistency of faith and action. Our job is to say, the only reason you have this injustice is because the people who commit it have a certain, have a certain religion behind that injustice. I mean, like we like to say, ideas have consequences. And I go presuppositional on this, and I say, ideas don't come out of nothing. There is a religious presupposition behind every idea. Ideas have consequences, and ideas are born by religious presuppositions. Your religious faith determines your ideas, and your ideas determine your practice. And the next step is the antithesis, the real war. Once we have presented the enemy's religion, and we have shown people what practically it means for their life in terms of righteous in, uh, wickedness and injustice, the contrast is God in the ethical judicial principles that the law of God brings to them. And then, so we present the ethical judicial uh, totality of the pagan religion and its justice, and we present the ethical judicial totality of God and his justice. In this, the fact of injustice in the society is not something we need to shy from, this is the beginning of our testimony. Social justice is the beginning of our testimony. Because everybody can see it, feel it, and everybody can be a victim and suffer in, or under it. Our witness for God needs to start with people's understanding of the fact that there is injustice in the world and then go through the work to, 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 through the law of God and back to God. That principle in the Bible is revealed in Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8. Now I want to quote it again. And this is, I have given you laws and statutes. And all the nations on, on the earth, when they look at those laws and statutes, will say, it's a great law and there's a great God behind it. And look at that wisdom that that great God has given because no other nation has such wisdom and has such God to give them that wisdom. Amen. Fire. Fire. I, I, I hate to cut it so much, but... No, that was a lot. You, you just received a live axe to the root by my man Bo Jadar Marinov. Put your hands together one more time for my man Bo right there. Bring in the fire. Yeah. All right, real quickly, uh, two things, two action steps you can do. Number one, I want you to message Joel McDermott. All right, he's accessible. He's not some kind of, you know, uh, uh, ivory tower professor or whatever the case may be. It's Brother Joel, but he happens to know way more than everybody else here, and everybody else here needs to get the knowledge of what he knows in your heads and not just keep on listening and all that other kind of stuff. Message, private message Joel McDermott and find out the best ways to purchase his books. So if you don't have the problem of slavery in Christian America, it is a mandatory, mandatory volume because of what Bo just talked about. Private message him. Best way to purchase his books now. It's kind of in transition. Support the brother, but most importantly, get this knowledge in your own heads. All right? Uh, second action step. Uh, every single axe to the root from the first, I think we're almost up to, to episode 
100, almost right now. Make sure that you listen. It should be the first thing on your podcast catcher. If you like what you just heard today, and I'm sure that everybody knows Bo Marinoff, but don't skip over any of them. Don't kind of pick through the titles. Make sure that, I mean, this brother grinds and labors to put this material out, and it's all for free. The least that we can do is to make sure that we hear every last second of it and incorporate it. And I want everyone here to, to support some kind of donation to Bulgarian Reformation Ministries. BulgarianReformationMinistries.com. Bulgarian Reformation, is that the correct website on there? BulgarianReformation.com. Whatever you can give, give it, because there is an underground uprising of this kind of theology all the way across the world because of what this man is doing right here. We need to support that. We need to partner with that. To the microphone right now, my man Russell Trawick. This brother has been with since I became a recon. This man, you know, has just been such an example for me, uh, setting the record straight. Absolute flame in your podcast catcher. Make sure you catch every Russell Treywick episode right here. Also, inbox him to support how he, what he's doing out down there in Sweeney, Texas, right now. Thank you so much for your participation uh, in uh, in the ceremony for tonight, my man Russell Treywick. For I'm not going to preach to you or anything. I'm not going to talk. I want to share with you. The importance of attacking these idols, where they're at, wherever you're at, about constantly being about the progress that God has for us. Um, while Joel, you were talking, I had to leave twice. I always, when I go out of town, something always happens back at the house or the farm or something. Um, while we were gone, uh, we had three state game wardens decide to uh, bust our gate and come in while I was gone um, to my wife, and the reason why is because someone had driven by, and I, I raise turkeys and all kinds of animals, and uh, we have eastern wild turkeys, and uh, someone thought in their bright intelligence that we were caging uh, buzzards. And it's a, it's a felony to do that, to kill or any falconry in our area. So they thought I had buzzards, but what I have is wild turkeys that we bought years ago, over four years ago. And I asked... This is about building relationships with even the unbeliever. Over four years ago, I, five years ago, I stepped away from, from full-time ministry in the church. Went by vocational. I started at the YMCA, and I met a man five years ago. He just happened to be a game warden. And I asked my wife to put the game wardens on the phone this morning. And what it was is he was one of the three that I knew. And I said, remember back when we were having conversations at the YMCA? Remember this man that we know? Remember this thing when I talked about how we govern our lives and how we take care of animals is all about constantly a revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus and how we steward these things? He said at first, he said, I don't know. I said, remember in Alvin, this was over two years ago, I moved away, but this is coming. He says, oh, I know exactly who you are. We're good here. He left and apologized. He left. I want to tell you something. Nothing's insignificant. Teaching and applying it to every aspect of life. Let's just remember that. Every aspect of life, we apply God's word, his law word to it. And uh, it, it, God is good. That's all I can say. He goes way before us, uh, even five years out. So let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for this day that we can come together. That Lord God, that no matter how diverse our backgrounds, 
Lord God, no, no matter where we, uh, where you found us and where you called us from, the Lord God, you you call us your own, and the Lord God, you bring us together not under the headship of man or denomination or or race or whatever else would people want to put in a category, but Lord, you bring us under your headship in Christ Jesus, and in doing so. Lord God, we get to claim we are one together. And Lord, as we come together and we continue to fellowship and break bread together and Lord, to, to, to dine and have these conversations, Lord, let us be reminded that it's about you and your kingdom. And Lord God, that, uh, that in all things that you're strengthening us as we sharpen one another, even as we disagree with one another today, or even as we, uh, Lord God, we have differences of opinion or whatever you might be, Lord continue to sharpen us as your people that when people see us that they will recognize that we are yours and yours alone and father we are fulfilling not our purpose or our selfish ambitions but father god yours and yours alone may as always you be king as you are and where we proclaim you so we ask these things in your name amen thank you for listening to this episode of no neutrality on the reconstructionist radio podcast network Don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.